Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. Before I get there, though, I want to recap what Lloyd taught last week just a bit. If you missed last week's sermon, and we say this from time to time, but it was so good. All of Lloyd's messages are good, but last week in particular was one of those messages for me anyway that I'm going to go rewatch. If you missed it, I can't encourage you enough to rewatch it. Lloyd introduced us to a couple of illustrations, a couple of analogies that I want to share with you because they're the perfect introduction to this entire section that we're beginning today walking through these texts of scripture. So Lloyd talked about an iceberg. We'll put an iceberg up on the screen. And if you remember the idea of the iceberg, you only see the 10% that's on the top. And last week, Lloyd told the story of the Titanic, which is the story we all know. They hit the iceberg. And if it had just been what was above the surface, you know, only 10% of the actual iceberg, it might not have sliced that ship open, but it was actually a ginormous mass of floating ice. 90% of that they couldn't even see because it was below the water. And when the collision of the ship and the iceberg happened, it was the iceberg that one, and the statement that Lloyd made is, it's not the iceberg you can see that will sink you, it's the iceberg you can't see. And he used this illustration to talk about our hearts. He said, being, being a fully alive and flourishing human being is much less about external appearance, much more about what's beneath the waterline of life. What is hidden below the surface that no one else can see. As JJ mentioned earlier, our mission at Fellowship is to help people find wholehearted life in Jesus. That means their entire life coming alive, finding life in Jesus. And so the way we talk about that is with the heart, the thoughts, the choices, the desires, and the emotions in Jesus Christ right here in the center, kind of bringing us to life, recreating us from the inside out, all of us becoming new. And then Lloyd gave one more illustration last week that I just thought was incredibly helpful. And I want to show it to you today. If you think about our hearts, the way that most of us live is a little bit like an iceberg. It's only the choices that anyone ever sees, but God sees the whole. God sees what's down below. And Jesus is constantly talking about the below the waterline parts of us, the thoughts, the desires, the emotions. And what Jesus is essentially saying in this sermon is he's saying it's the part down below, the part in your heart where you really need help, where you really need salvation, the parts that you don't know what to do with, the parts, the desires, the emotions, the thoughts that are raging within you that you keep below the waterline of life. And think about it, what's on top is external, what's below is internal. Another way to think about this illustration is what's above the waterline is your doing. What's below the bottom line, the waterline, is your being. Now, most people try to change by only addressing their doing, only addressing their choices. It's why so many people implode so many public figures, Christian public figures even, they implode because all their energy and effort, they just think, well, I, I've got to do what's right. I've got to be a good boy. I've got to be a good girl. In reality, there's all this stuff raging on in their heart that needs a savior, that needs salvation, that needs rescue, that needs wholeness. It's not the iceberg you can see that will sink you. It's the iceberg you can't see. Now, as I mentioned, Lloyd's message last week, the text that he taught um, was an introduction to where we're going to go over the next six weeks. It's an entire section of the Sermon on the Mount. And the very last verse of Lloyd's text last week is key. It says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And remember, the scribes and Pharisees were the experts of righteousness. 
And so the question on everybody's mind when they would have heard this, and for us when we read it, is how can this be? Like, what in the world is Jesus talking about? So then he goes through the next, you know, really through the end of chapter five of Matthew, six examples, six laws or commandments from the Old Testament. And what Jesus is doing with each one is he's revealing what's below the waterline. He's revealing the 90% that's below the surface. So the commandment up top, above, visible, external, Jesus is gonna go down beneath into the internal. He exposes our hearts, but not to kill us. He cuts us open rather to save us, like a surgeon rescuing us, bringing us life in the place that's hidden far away that no one can see. Today, we're gonna talk about murder. Next week, by the way, Lloyd's passage is gonna be on adultery. All these passages are very direct. I just wanna share with you now, if you've got young kids in the room, next week may be a week to do something different. Lloyd's gonna speak very directly about adultery and and the issues that go along with that. Uh, As we always do here at Fellowship, just teaching the text as it is. So just wanted to give a heads up to parents if you've got your kids with you either online or in the room. Our text, however, this morning is about murder and it is equally as direct. It is equally as uh, difficult in many ways and we need it. We need it this morning. Uh, As we have been doing in this series, I wanna ask you, although I know it may feel a bit of an inconvenience, I think it really matters, I wanna ask you to stand and we're gonna read the text together. And let me just tell you why, I know you get all comfortable, you know, and there's nobody wants to stand at this point in, the, in the, the flow of the service, but here's why we do this. We come under the authority of the words of Jesus Christ together as a body. It's no small thing. And so we wanna read them together, corporately, as a body. Uh, I'll lead, and you can read along out loud together with me as we go. Our scripture reading is from Matthew 5, 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the living word of God for us today. Father, would you help us understand and apply these words? May you show us what it means to follow Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. I think it's very interesting that the very first Old Testament law that Jesus chooses to unpack and kind of go below the waterline with is this sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And I think it's strategic that Jesus starts here because it's a command. Think about all the the 10 commands from the 10 commandments. This is probably the one that uh, of all of them, most people would say, I've never done that. Maybe I've done this, maybe I've done the other, but I've never done that. Kind of like Carrie said in the video earlier, he starts there. I'm picturing his audience. And, you know, I don't know what culture was like exactly in the first century. So there might've been, you know, some people that had killed another human being in his midst. Maybe likely there were, but most, 
most would clearly be like us. And they'd say, well, that's one thing I've never done. You know, check that box to the good. But look what Jesus does here. This is so fascinating. This is so brilliant. What, what Jesus actually does is he says, you've heard it say you shall not murder, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with a brother is liable to the same judgment. Whoever insults his brother, liable to the council. Whoever says you fool, liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is saying, look below the waterline of the command. You know, look underneath it. See the thoughts, the emotions, the desires. Underneath this command, do not murder. Jesus is saying murder is an attitude of the heart. It's an internal thing, not just an external thing. And I think what Jesus is challenging and saying to his followers here is, if you think you've never murdered, you have not yet fully understood the intent of the law. Specifically, he calls out three things that are all kind of below the waterline of murder, and they all connect to this theme of anger. And the, the first is, he says, everyone who is angry with his brother. Then he says, everyone who insults. And then he says, whoever says, you fool. Let's look at each. We'll, we'll put these verses on the screen. I'll walk through them just one at a time really briefly. The, the first is he says, okay, everyone who is angry with his brother. Now, let, let me specify. Jesus is not talking about any and all anger. He's not saying if you've ever been angry, you murdered. Jesus himself was angry multiple times, numerous times. But I want you to think about what Jesus was angry with. He was angry at injustice. He was angry at sin. He was angry at hard-heartedness. He, he was angry, ultimately, with the brokenness of the fallen creation and its effect on human beings, both the perpetrators and the victims. Broken creation brought anger to Jesus, and that is a righteous emotion to feel toward the brokenness around us. Another verse in the New Testament says, in your anger, do not sin. But there is a kind of anger, the one that Jesus is talking about in this verse, that Jesus says it, it's, it's sin. Not only is it sin, it, it's the same as murder when you look below the waterline of the iceberg. And here's how I would describe it. It's ego-centered anger that Jesus is talking about. It's, it's, it's me-centered anger. In other words, it's anger at someone for getting in my way. It's anger at someone for wronging me, offending me, annoying me. It's when that person is an affront to my hopes, my dreams, my desires, my ego, and, and I burn with anger. Jesus says, when you do that, you are liable to the same judgment as the murderer because you have the same heart as the murderer. The next one, he says... Whoever insults his brother. In the Greek, it literally says this. Whoever says raka. And obviously, that they, they, they translated this differently in English because we don't use the word raka anymore. But in the first century, raka was an Aramaic word that was an insult. It, it was sort of like the, a, a low blow, you know? It, it literally meant empty. So it was like calling someone an, an empty person, an empty one. You know, maybe the equivalent in our day would, would be sort of, you, you're stupid, you're, you're an idiot. There, there's nothing there upstairs, empty, raka. Jesus is saying, anyone who, who says this 
to his brother is, is liable. And, and then the, the next one, the third one, is very similar to, to Raka. He says, whoever says, you fool. Now, this is another insult, just another word. Uh, this word was moros. We eventually got moron in English from the Greek word moros. Now, the difference between raka and moros, as I understand it, is raka was more an insult to someone's intelligence. Moros was an insult to their character. And we might say in English, they're good for nothing. They're a, a, I don't know, a, a low life, a loser. What these two ancient words have in common, raka, moros, is their expressions of contempt. And so I want to go back to our iceberg. Jesus is saying, underneath, underneath the sin of murder is, is anger, and also underneath the sin of murder is contempt. Now, what is contempt? Contempt is the belief that someone is, is so far beneath you that you feel disdain for them. You feel disgust toward them. You can't feel contempt without a feeling of superiority, without a feeling of arrogance. Uh, uh, someone, they just, they just disgust you. It's just contempt. By the way, I remember this goes back years ago. I, I was listening to this podcast and they were uh, talking about this study that was done with counselors that were trying to work with, with couples that were struggling in their marriage. And they tracked what happened with these couples through the counseling and then several years after the counseling. And they said there was one thing that was clo most closely correlated to the couples that ended up in divorce. And it was back when they were having their counseling, they, they were expressing contempt toward one another, you know, verbally or, or non-verbally, like the rolling of the eyes. You, you, are, you are so, you're so below me. That's contempt. Now, quick aside about a word choice of Jesus that I found very interesting in this. And it's, it's a word we haven't talked about yet. Did you notice the word brother? It, in fact, when I studied this, passage for the first time, you know, weeks ago, preparing for this message, getting ready for it. That was the first word I noticed. I was like, does this apply just to my siblings? Does this apply to all Hebrew people in that context? All Christians? Like, what's Jesus talking about here? Jesus repeats that word four times. And so here's the conclusion I came to. Either this whole passage applies only to our closest family members, or it's a reminder that all human beings are meant to be treated as our closest family members. And I think that's Jesus' point. He's saying every human is a brother or sister, a fellow human being creating God's image and therefore worthy of honor, dignity, respect. Let's just stop for a minute and consider how penetrating and brilliant the message of Jesus is. He's saying, listen, you all know to avoid the iceberg of murder. Like nobody's going to go out and do that. Uh, I hope in this room in the next week. But look what's underneath. Anger. Contempt. What Jesus is actually going after here, if I could summarize it even more broadly, he's saying what we all have inside us, underneath us, is internal, relational brokenness. There's not a one of us that can escape from that. He's saying this self-centeredness that you have that causes you to lash out in, in, in anger and contempt and harm and wound because you've been harmed, because you've been wounded. 
And the retribution, and it's this cycle creating relational brokenness. I'd say it this way. This passage goes so far beyond murder. It even goes far beyond anger. This passage is ultimately about being rightly related to our fellow human beings. In fact, the entire sermon is about becoming whole, becoming what I would say is a person who is fully, genuinely, gloriously human. And Jesus is saying, when, 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 when anger's coming out of you, when contempt is coming out of you, when, when, you're, when you're perpetuating the cycle of relational brokenness, you're, you're less than fully human. You're less than the divine image bearer that the Father in heaven created you to be. There's no life here. Now think about it. What is murder? If you really get down below murder, it's, it's the devaluing of a human life to the place of taking the life. It's devaluing a human life. It's believing that, that a person has gotten so in your way that you're better off or maybe the world is better off if that person doesn't exist. That's what murder is. Another way to think about murder, it's believing that you're so superior to another human being that their life is not as valuable as yours. It's an attitude of arrogance, of pride, disdain, and it's the ultimate fruit of relational brokenness. This is the message of our text this morning. Now, I want to apply it before we go on to the next verses. Because here we are in a moment, oh my goodness, <laughs> you talk about anger, <laughs> you talk about contempt, relational brokenness, you know, you don't have to search very far to see it, to find it inside of us, outside of us. What does it look like to follow Jesus in a world like ours right now, in this cultural moment? I think Jesus would say, how about if you start with the sixth commandment? You shall not murder. 2020 is a great opportunity for Jesus people to be salt and light. What would that look like? What would it look like for us to be expressions of a new kingdom when everyone else has drawn the battle lines, everyone else has dug in and is just like hurling insults like grenades through Twitter and, and other means? Here's what it might look like to follow Jesus and live out these words. It's something like this. I, I, it means saying, God, I repent. And, and I, I, I repent not just of the external parts of me. I, I repent of the attitudes of my heart is what Jesus is calling us to do. I repent of my anger toward people that disagree with me. I re repent of my contempt. I repent of my feeling of superiority. I repent of my urge to insult someone's character, insult someone's repentance. And I think it means I will engage the issues, yes, but do it in a way where I treat other people as human beings worthy of honor, dignity, and respect as a brother, as a sister. It reminds me a little bit of that Good Samaritan story that most of us are so familiar with. The, the, they, the experts of the law come to Jesus and say, who is my neighbor? Expecting him to say, oh, just the tribe of Israel or you know, just the, your, your clan. Instead, Jesus says, there was a Samaritan there was an enemy who did such and such. Now, who was the neighbor? 
In short, following Jesus in a world like ours, I think starts with repenting in our own hearts. It's heart repentance that then leads to new choices because that's the way the transformational process works. Transformed choices flow from transformed thoughts and transformed emotions and transformed desires as Jesus gets a hold of our heart and he's trying to do it through this text. Now, he doesn't stop there. We're, 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 gonna, we're gonna go on in our text to see what Jesus has to say next in these next few verses. So let's, let's look at those together. We'll, we'll look at verses 23 and 24. Here's what Jesus is gonna do in these verses. He's gonna get very practical. He said, listen, if you hear this, apply it very specifically. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, this is absolutely mind-blowing and I wanna explain why. In the first century, what was happening was the, the sacrifice of bringing the animal to the altar, offer, give it to the priest, the priest would kill it, put it on the altar and burn it. That was the most important moment of a Hebrew's life. Like in, in all their rhythms, this was the most sacred, most holy moment. Most of these people didn't live in Jerusalem. They lived scattered out, some for hundreds of miles. They would travel. They would walk for hundreds of miles to come near the presence of God at the temple in the Holy of Holies and bring a gift, bring a gift to the altar. It was the most important moment in their life in, in many ways. And Jesus is saying, as important as that moment is, if it's even right there at the foot of the altar that you remember that you've harmed a brother or sister and haven't made it right, that, that you've got a broken relationship back home that you haven't done whatever you can in your own power to heal, drop the animal. Go back home. It's better for you to do that than it is for you to make this sacrifice to God. Oh my goodness. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying human reconciliation is a higher priority than the literal act of worshiping God. How can that be? Because it's a higher priority to God himself. Somehow, and I can't explain this well, theologically, Jesus is saying there's a connection between right relationship with God and right relationship with your fellow human beings. And so think of it this way, guys. At the moment of the offering, the choice for the worshiper is about which gift he will give to God. Will he give the animal or will he give his heart? That's always the choice that's on us. 2 Samuel 15, 22, does the Lord take as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as he does in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Here's the next example. It, it's just as stark. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Okay. The first example was about the priority of right relationships. The second example is about the urgency of right relationships. Here's, what, here's the situation that Jesus had in mind. In those days, and, and this was true in much of human history, in, in our country even until recently, if you owed someone a debt and you did not pay the debt, you could find yourself in debtor's prison. 
you could literally find yourself in jail and they would keep you there until the debt was paid, either by you somehow or by family members or friends that cared enough about you to, to, to pay the, the debt back to you. And Jesus is saying, if you're literally, if you happen to have the opportunity because you have a chance encounter on the street with the person that you owe on the way to the judge, take advantage of that window of opportunity because once the proceedings start, it's too late. In the Greek, the, the, the phrase here that's translated come to terms, it, it, it might better be translated make friends. It's reconcile. It, it's go back into relationship. It's do whatever you can to restore the relationship. Pay your debt so that you can be in right standing with the other person while you still have the opportunity to because the window of opportunity is closing. Okay? That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, it's very important that you realize in both of these examples, Jesus is not just saying these only apply to these specific moments in time. He's purposely choosing extreme examples to create a principle. The first one is, it is so much a priority to God that you're right with your fellow human being that it's better for you to go be right than it is to make your animal sacrifice or your act of worship. The second one is, it's so urgent that you write relationships with your fellow human beings because your window of opportunity will close. Guys, if you and the other person that you're not right with, if you're both still alive, you have a window of opportunity. Make friends while you still can. Guys, if the window's still open for you, take it because that window will close someday. I was studying this passage this week and uh, I was praying because, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe this is an overstatement. Is there a one of us in this room that can't think of a name right now? And say, I, I don't know if I'm quite right with that person. Most of us have more than one. But I had one particular name and I kept putting it off. You know, I would study this text and say, oh, I'm, it really wasn't my fault. Like what went wrong in that relationship, I don't think that was on me. I think it was on this other person. God, God kept telling me, Rob, the relationship's not whole. It's not whole. And so I reached out. It took me all the way to Friday. Okay, and I was, it, guys, you know, there's some things you do that are harder than others. This is the hardest thing I've done in a long time. I didn't want to do it. I said, if I'm gonna preach this word, if I'm gonna take this word seriously, I need to live this word. And I reached out. And I don't yet know what's gonna happen. I'm still nervous about it, to be honest with you. Like there's still a conversation to be had in my future. The other thing that was going on in me this week as I was wrestling with this text was there was this one song from my high school days that I could not get out of my head. Um, I'm a huge fan of Stephen Curtis Chapman, and I'm gonna take some of you all the way back to 1992, okay? I, I was like a sophomore in high school, and the Great Adventure album released, right? And there's a song on there, a duet, that he sings with B.B. Winans, okay? That'll take us back. It's called Still Called Today, and I couldn't get the song out of my head. I wanna read you some of the words. And I, I thought about it, I was like, I, I, I don't know what verses exactly Stephen had in mind. He always puts those in his liner notes. I haven't gone back and looked it up yet, but like, 
This is a very good interpretation of this story we just read about coming to terms while you still have time. There's a hole the size of a cruel world in a wounded heart somewhere that's learning to hide the pain. There's a thorn stuck in the conscience of someone who spoke a word in anger and they can't wash away the stain. Sorry is such a hard word to say. But while it's still called today, won't somebody make it right? Before the day slips into night and the moments waste away, while it is still called today, we've got to say the words that are longing to be heard because tomorrow may be too late. Go on and say what you need to say while it's still called today. If you and the other person are still alive, you have an opportunity that will one day close. And, and the tension you may be feeling in your heart is the same tension I felt in my heart. It's like, I don't know that I have anything to apologize for. Listen, that may or may not be true. I don't know. And, and here's what, what is true. Reconciliation is a two-way process. True reconciliation is a two-way process. Jesus is not calling you to own the other person's part of that process. Jesus is just calling you to own your own heart. Now, when you encounter a part of the Bible like this that, that splits you open, like it did for me, and, and I, I pray for some of you in the room, maybe most of us in the room, it reveals your heart is only one place you can go. You go to mercy, you go to grace. Like you fall down prostrate before the Lord. Say, oh my, oh my, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, yes. I will have mercy because I have come to fulfill the law. See, when Jesus said that in verse 20, what he's saying is, I've come to live out the fullness of these commands. You shall not murder. I'm gonna live it out to the full extent. I'm not gonna be angry. I'm not gonna express contempt. Even when they unjustly put him on that cross, when he did nothing wrong, he had nothing to apologize for. They put him up there. They spat on him. They stripped him naked. They hurled all kinds of insults at him. And he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. You see, he took the relational brokenness of the world, not, not, not his own. He had none. He took all the relational brokenness of the world, yours, mine, everyone's. He put it on himself. He died under its load in order to reconcile, get this, his enemies to the Father. Oh my. I want you to think about it this way. From that moment on, to quote Tom Wright, from that moment on, reconciliation is no longer simply an ideal we might strive for. It is an achievement an accomplishment which we now in turn must embody. Because men and women, we're called Christians. We bear the name of the reconciling one. This is our calling. It's who we've been recreated to be. As the band comes back out, I want to invite you to take out your communion elements. I want you to have them ready. I, I don't want you to eat them yet. I want you to have them ready. And, and let me say this while you're getting these ready. We observe the Lord's table every week here 
to remember and reinforce the core belief which our entire lives are based on. Our entire lives are wrapped around, and here it is, that Jesus offered up his life on an altar to reconcile us to God, to heal broken relationships between you and your creator, to do the work for you, Jesus put himself in our place so that we could be put in his place, rightly related to the Father. He paid our debt to get us out of debtor's prison so we can be reconciled to God, made right, made friends with God the Father through faith in Jesus the Son. You see, Jesus himself was the ultimate offering on the altar. And so the table that we now come to right now is in many respects the high point of our service. It is because it is the high point of our worship. And so here we are right now at our own altar, so to speak, about to take communion. I want you to go ahead and take out the bread and hold the bread in your hand. Don't eat it. Just hold it in your hand. I want you to hold this bread, feel it, look at it, and listen to these words. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I just invited you to pick up the bread. Now I'm going to invite you to set it back down. Before we eat the bread and drink the cup, let's obey the words of Jesus. Let's stop and consider our hearts. And I mean this literally. I mean this like, guys, I don't know that I've ever taught a sermon where the, the, the application is as right now and practical as what I just read. And so here's what I want to invite us to do. And throughout this sermon series, we've been putting a reflection question or two on the screen at the end of each message to help us engage our hearts. And we're going to do that again. We'll go ahead and put that up on the screen. And, and here's the question that you're going to have a few minutes just to reflect on. What is one relationship in my life that is not right at this moment, what step can I take to move toward wholeness? And, and I, I know there's a lot of barriers. Some of you are feeling barriers right now. So, well, I can't do anything in this room. I, I, maybe you could just write their name down in the margin of your Bible. Maybe pull out your phone and, and make a note that you're, as soon as you get home, you're gonna do such and such. Maybe some of you could text a person right now from this room. Maybe you, you could pull out a, a, a pen or your phone and just start a note start a letter or an email, just start it. The first two sentences are the hardest. If you can get past the first two sentences, you got it. Maybe you can write those first two sentences right now. And guys, listen, taking a step towards someone may not change the outcome. The outcome may not be in your hands. Reconciliation is a two-way process, but real heart change begins what, with what's inside of you right now having heard the word of God, will you obey the word of God? Let's reflect on this.